episode four of On Translation with Mohammed Al-Bakri and Joseph McElhaney. Today I would like to talk about translating idioms, this colorful aspect of language. We hope to first introduce what idioms are, show some various examples, delve a little bit into the notion of equivalence as it relates to idiomatic expressions, go over some of the strategies for rendering idioms and show how emotionally and politically fraught idioms in translation could be. All right. Well, I guess, you know, we sometimes talk about idiomatic expressions or idioms, but uh, how would you define an idiom? All right. So I would like you to picture this. If you could imagine the vocabulary of the language as people at a party, the idioms would be the kind of people who like to form a clique. They like to come in the company of their buddies, probably okay. wearing big hats and <laughs> colorful costumes and sometimes even like to wear a mask on their faces. Yeah, exactly the kind of people I want to party with. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a clumsy, my clumsy analogy, but hopefully it will make sense uh, in the course of uh, discussion here. More formally, idioms are a group of words in which meaning resides in all the words. For example, to give the cold shoulder to someone or to turn a deaf ear to someone. You could simply say to ignore someone. It's a more colorful way of saying it. I'm not saying that to give the cold shoulder is exactly equivalent in nuance and tone to to turn a deaf ear, but both of them are fixed or semi-fixed expressions that can be called idiomatic expressions. Okay. And to be an idiom, is it, does it have to be something that, uh, I don't know, is common use, everybody essentially understands? Yeah, by definitions, idioms are uh, conventional expressions. Uh, they are collective. There is not an idiom of one. You can invent your own idiom. It doesn't become an idiom unless it gets picked up and gets spread and other people start using it and understand what it means. Would it be fair to say it's almost like an expression, a metaphorical expression, but it's really lost any poetic sensibility? Like No one has to stop and think about what it means. You just automatically know what it means. Uh, in the same way to, to say to turn a deaf ear or give someone the cold shoulder, it just we automatically know that means to ignore someone and we don't even maybe notice it so much. Right, or sometimes don't even visualize it. I think what you said is a, is a good explanation. So uh, again, idioms are a group of words that work together. Their meaning cannot be deduced from the words individually. So the idiom acts as one unit prefabricated language. Ah, so that's why there it's like the click at the party. Yes. You will see maybe uh, the other aspects I had in my extended metaphor there. <laughs> so when we talk about idioms, we usually classify them into three groups or three categories. The open-faced categories, completely transparent. The semi-veiled category in the party, the ones that are semi-transparent. Some people like to say translucent, and the completely vague, the completely masked, which is opaque. So do you have like some examples of each of those? Well, I thought I might play a game here. I start an idiom or a proverb. And by the way, the two are related. Proverbs can be a subcategory of idioms. They share the metaphorical aspects, but a proverb is more like an encapsulation of common wisdom or common sense. We'll talk about that through the course of our discussion. So let's see the examples. We'll play this game. I'm going to start an idiom, and I will ask you to finish it. Okay, and, and what do I win? I assume this is a, a contest. Uh, yes. 
if you get it wrong, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> if you get it right, you will win absolutely nothing. <laughs> All right. Sounds like the game of life. Okay. All roads lead to? Rome. Why Rome? Why not Athens or... Uh, probably because the Ro- Romans were really terrific road builders. <laughs> okay. You cannot teach an old dog... New tricks. Okay. Uh, again, notice it's an old dog. You cannot say an old horse or an old cat. Uh, yeah, but cats are, are useless. So. <laughs> <laughs> Between the rock and... A hard place. Okay. So three out of three so far. A bird in the hand is worth... Two in the bush. Yeah, well, why two? Why not ten or five? Yeah, I don't know. I guess you just increase it by one, and that's all that you need to do to differentiate it. It's no use crying... Over spilt milk. All that glitters... Is not gold. If the mountain won't come to Muhammad... (laughs) And Muhammad (laughs) goes to the mountain. When pigs... Fly. Mm Mm-hmm. We need to bury... We need to bury... The hatchet. Oh, oh, bury the hatchet. Okay. Yes. All right. The fruit does not fall very far from... The tree. (laughs) The grass is... Always greener on the other side. Or, to quote Ernie Bombeck, always greener over the septic tank. (laughs) The last one is kind of a grotesque expression, actually. There are more ways than one to... Skin a cat. Awful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Awful. And that's that's coming from someone who's not really a, a, a... Cats are fine. I'm more a dog person. But yeah, it's still horrible. So the question is, how did you know to complete my thoughts for me? I, I didn't share these idiomatic expressions or proverbs with you beforehand. Right. We, sh- we should have made that clear to the audience. It's like a magician's trick. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question, right? I mean, they, they were just obvious and, and automatic, but I couldn't tell you where I ever learned them. Because they are part of the culture. You have heard them. You have encountered them. Uh, as I mentioned, they are prefabricated chunks of language that we use to gain flow in the conversation. I wonder if you can tell me, maybe if you remember, if one of them is completely opaque. Imagine if you never heard it before, you would not be able to guess what it means. All roads lead to Rome. That might be a little opaque because you might tend to take it literally in some way. This classification of transparent, semi-transparent, and opaque is subjective. I don't think there is an objective criterion. But we can more or less agree that maybe something like to spill the beans in the sense of to divulge a secret, that's opaque. If you you have never heard it before, you are not going to be able to guess the meanings. Right. And I think now that you say that, like bury the hatchet, it kind of seems obvious just because we really know what it means. But if you came from outside the culture and never heard it before, it wouldn't necessarily make any sense whatsoever. What's interesting about idioms is that many of them cannot be translated word for word. They have a collective meaning. You have to deal with them at this collective level. And sometimes you you are lucky and you have an exact equivalent idiom in the receiving language that is exactly the same. Let's say, for example, when pigs fly, I think in German, wenn Schweine fliegen können, it's exactly the same. But in Spanish, it's when cows fly. Moroccan Arabic, I think it's when goats fly. In Egyptian Arabic, we just say filmishmish, which means in the apricot season which is very short. Most of the time, you have to find different strategies to translate the idiom. Right, and as you said, it would really be impossible in many cases to translate them literally. So even, for example, 
you gave these examples from other languages where it's just a different animal that flies that obviously the Egyptian one is completely, completely different and would make no sense to any of the speakers of that other language. So even though if I saw the phrase, when goats fly, I could probably deduce what that meant and understand that, you know, in English we would say when pigs fly. But if you said in the apricot season, I would really have no idea what that meant. How about when horses grow horns? That's, I think it's an Afrikaans equivalent of that expression. I would assume, perhaps wrongly, that, again, it means the same as when pigs fly. Like, this is something that will never happen. So most of these idioms or proverbs, they are sayings that language users must know, and they are largely cultural. So that, of course, brings up the familiar challenge that every translator confronts, which is how to make a foreign text with embedded cultural presuppositions accessible to an audience with a different knowledge base. Obviously, many of the idioms have embedded cultural presuppositions. So I have an example here, a real one from journalism. Uh, a while ago, CNBC had a report about a corruption case in China, I think related to people being given bad meat to eat. And uh, they had this quote. I'm going to read it for you. I give you enough context, I think, and I would like you to guess what it means. In China, the rules are dead and people are alive. That's simple, a worker said in the report. So what do you think this means? Obviously, the journalist or the interpreter or the translator opted for a very literal translation here. But it doesn't work, does it? It's kind of mysterious. Yes. The meaning doesn't exactly leap off the page here. You, you certainly would have to stop and try and puzzle through it. So what do you think it means? guess it means that laws and rules continue on and have authority and, the, and people don't really matter. Uh, you know, people will be born and die, but the rules just remain the same? Rules are made to be broken. I think that's a more idiomatic expression in English. Ah, so that's what it means. Okay. I had it completely backwards. So the notion of dead and alive takes us into the heart of Chinese metaphorical language, but it doesn't transfer well into English. So maybe something like corners have been cut. Which also raises this question... I mean, it seems maybe with this, you can't always necessarily even translate an idiom by an idiom, right? That maybe there are cases where you just have to translate the meaning. You have to decipher it as part of the translation rather than trying to find some equivalent expression that has an idiomatic flavor uh, in the target language. Sure. I mean, there are different strategies, and we're going to talk about that. And one of them is paraphrasing or even omission. But we'll talk about the strategies that try to preserve the idiom. The point of translating idioms is to preserve the force of the language. It's not about preserving the form or providing a precise equivalent for each word. Based on a survey of different textbooks that discuss idioms, Mona Baker's book about A Course in Translation is a good one. Some of the techniques that are discussed in relation to idioms are try to find an idiom in the target language that uses the same words, the same structure, and has the same exact meaning. So obviously the example I gave about when pigs fly and the German translation would be a perfect example of that. There are some common uh, idioms that I think are used in different languages. I can think of the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the same same one in Arabic, for example. Maybe even that was a translation from the Arabic at some point, right? That could be. The problem is, in English, sometimes you don't have to state the whole 
idiom. So you just say the last straw. In fact, it's kind of redundant to repeat the whole thing. I would still, if I'm translating this into Arabic, I would still have to say the last straw that broke the camel's back because the abbreviated form doesn't work by itself. The first strategy is the top-notch solution, and it's a perfect match. You have the exact same equivalent in terms of form and function. I mean, they have to be available, right, uh, uh, in the both languages. If you're going to translate it, you just have to have that exact equivalent available in both languages, and that has to be a fixed number. It's almost you could catalog those, I imagine. But moving on, the second strategy, try to find an idiom in your language which uses different words but has the same structure and similar meaning or the exact meaning. So would this be the example you gave earlier? Um, I think you said it might have been from Afrikaans about the horses growing horns. Yes, I think that would be the second strategy. It have a very similar effect. It's still within the domains of animals and talking about the notion of impossibility. But it's not exactly the same animal. Uh, another strategy is finding an idiom in your language that has different words, different structures, but the same exact meaning or similar meaning. A cry in the wilderness or to fall on deaf ears in English. I think in Egyptian Arabic there's an expression like uh, Muazzin's call in Malta because uh, Muslims were kicked out of Malta at some point and the azan or the call to prayer was never heard, heard right. there before. So. Yeah. I like that one. It's, it's a little more poetic. But it's a very different domain, right? It's yes. not really translating the idiom. It's, you are really drawing on the source language culture in order to find a similar effect for the idiom in the first language. From what I have listed so far, what do you see in common among the different strategies? They almost seem to be degrees of the same process. What you're really trying to do is get the meaning across and then to the degree that you can have the same structure, have close to the same content. But along that uh, spectrum, it seems that, you know, you get to the far extreme, one of really having the exact equivalent in content and form, but then you just slowly move away from that until you may not have uh, any type of idiom. And so at least with these strategies, you're still within the same domain but it seems that there might be many cases, maybe even the most cases, where you really don't have any way of translating except by, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, paraphrasing. And that is supposed to be the very last resort. So the preference, of course, is, is given to the idiomatizing translation when you are dealing with idioms. When all the strategies don't work, you may go for paraphrasing or omission, which is the least preferred option. What's interesting to me in this is that if an idiom is a, I don't want to say dead, that may be too much, right? But it's a prefabricated expression, which everybody understands. Are you really losing that much by paraphrasing or, uh, or omission? I wonder if this is a case where it shows that translating the, the meaning rather than any attempt at any degree of literalness is the only way to go. In some cases, I would argue, yes. We should not really get too hung up on the idiomatizing principle or the idiomatizing strategies, because in some cases, paraphrasing is fine. But let's flip that question on its head. So could you translate a non-idiomatic expression into an idiomatic expression? One of the most 
infamous statements in the 60s was uh, Nikita Khrushchev's We Will Bury You. I don't know if you remember this one. Uh, no, I was uh, negative so many years. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be one of those uh, emblematic statements of the Cold War. But as it turns out, that's not what Nikita said, at least not in Russian. A more accurate translation of the idiom that he used would be something like, we will outlast you. Still arrogant, but it's not exactly the declaration of war right. that the first translation implies. Which is interesting because in a literal sense saying, we will bury you, does mean eventually you're going to die first. But in English, that phrase means like, we will bury you really means I'm going to immediately destroy you. The English phrase has taken on this non-literal meaning. Well, another case that is not as famous but quite significant as well was Ahmadinejad, um, the former Iranian president. His infamous statement, we will wipe Israel off the face of the map. According to his translation, the translator's name is Homan Majid, Ahmadinejad's translator at the UN. He said, actually what he said in Persian was an, an idiom that more accurately would mean something like Israel will vanish from the pages of time. I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would argue it's different. Or uh, the star of Israel will fade away. Again, that... I think you can say that there is a difference in intentionality there and the level of hostility expressed. It's not, it's not flattering, that's for sure, but it's not as intentionally aggressive uh, as the commonly used uh, expression right. uh, that the New York uh, New York Times translated and circulated in the English language. Right. It's In some ways, it's actually parallel to the Nikita Khrushchev, where it's more saying like, well, eventually my enemy will go away. Not that I'm necessarily going to do anything about it, but we will still be here when you are gone, rather than we will do something soon to make sure you are gone. That's, that's a good connection, actually. I think, yes, it's the notion of agency, right. whether emphasizing it or putting it in the background. Yeah, masking it. Masking it, yes. All right, well, I guess uh, one thing that we very briefly touched on is the relationship of proverbs to idioms. Both of them are metaphorical. The only difference is that idioms are colorful expression, figurative language, but it is not necessarily meant to be a nugget of wisdom like a proverb. A proverb would be something like, crime doesn't pay, absolute power corrupts absolutely, curiosity kills the cat. It seems that, uh, yeah, when we were talking earlier, this is what maybe what I had in mind is a proverb being self-contained, whereas an idiom can linguistically maybe stand on its own or syntactically, but it's, like you say, it, it doesn't express some single meaning on its own. It's an expression that you would deploy in certain contexts. It seems to me uh, that the translation of both of those present very much the same problems, but I don't know if you would agree with it. I think they present very similar problems. Uh, proverbs might be a little different. As you said, they can be or more likely to be complete thoughts and perhaps more likely, but not necessarily more transparent. So those who live in a glass in glass houses should not throw stones at others. Beauty in the eye of the beholder, birds of a feather flock together, or even what you mentioned, a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. If, they can be metaphorical, but because of the wisdom or the common sense guiding them, they 
are more likely to be more transparent. But I was wondering if they're they're more transparent when they're maybe less metaphorical or have less imagery. So one of the first examples you gave was crime doesn't pay. And it seems to me you could translate that fairly straightforwardly, whereas, you know, a bird in the hand or an expression like that, which has is more metaphorical and more has more imagery, is more likely maybe to be culturally bound and is more likely to cause problems to a translator because you couldn't really translate it literally. But, but maybe- you could. You could find an equivalent that probably many cultures would have an equivalent to this common saying. It doesn't necessarily have to involve birds, right? It might involve other animals or objects. I see. Because yeah. what maybe what you're saying is because it represents a common piece of wisdom, that's more likely to have an equivalent expression uh, in a different language rather than an idiom that's just has a particular meaning in context because it doesn't express something that's supposed to be a universal truth or pretend right. to be a universal truth. Uh, it's less likely to really have an equivalent. And that makes sense to me. Well, that's a good point. And if you think about idioms too, where they come from, you know, they come from everywhere. They come from mythology, of course. They come from s- scriptures. They come from sports. I mean, I think of, yeah, American idiom, baseball idioms, out of left field, to touch base, to step up to the plate. You're translating these idioms into a culture that does not have baseball as a common sport. You are really, uh, you have to do something about it. Right, right. right. Unless the baseball metaphor is very central to the plot, you might want to find other equivalents. Right. Or, of course, resort to footnotes. Right. And if baseball is central to the plot, you're going to have a lot of trouble translating the whole whole novel or whatever it is. Well, given uh, all you've said about idioms and proverbs and the issues with translating them, uh, where does that leave us and what are we to do? Yes. Where does this lead us? Good question. Uh, I hope our discussion has led us somewhere better than where we started. Our podcast is not meant to be a podcast about methods of translation. It has a much wider scope. But hopefully we were able to intertwine some theoretical discussion with practical implications. Our discussion is meant to be a consciousness-raising discussion. It is important to raise awareness of the idiomatic aspect of language. For one thing, it's a fun part of language, right? But also very important, uh, idioms and proverbs are pervasive in our speech and writing. By some measures, they constitute about 20 to 30% of the language, at least in English. Uh, More than colorful characters in a house party, as I tried to portray them at the beginning, they are essential parts of the house of language itself. So let me try a different analogy here. If you can imagine or reimagine language as a house, the majority of the building blocks would be individual bricks that we assemble to make a sentence. But these chunks of ready-made language are like prefabricated wall sections that make the building process much easier. And they can also serve as windows into the culture. As we explained, they tend to be culture-bound expressions that draw on all resources and aspects of language, from high culture to pop culture, including history, mythology, religion, folklore, sports, and so on. I think proverbs, though, seem to be more common in less literate speech communities. 
and they tend to be used relatively more frequently in traditions or cultures that have stronger oral traditions. There is no right or wrong when it comes to translating idioms and proverbs, but it's important, though not always essential, to preserve the force of these expressions whenever possible. I think we have covered some of the different strategies that seek to do just that. I don't think we got much into the scale of transparency, but I think it's 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 important. It's essential as part of the awareness raising of the translator. I would argue that the transparent expressions, things like all that glitters is not gold, Expressions like that are fairly straightforward, and for this reason, they may not pose much trouble to the translator. On the other end of the scale, semantically opaque expressions lack clues to their interpretation. This would include expressions that are kind of peculiar in their composition, to spill the beans, to bury the hatchet. Expressions like these may require more creativity on the part of the translator finding some kind of indirect corresponding image or equivalent. In my view, however, the greatest challenge might actually be the semi-transparent expressions. They are the deceptively simple ones. The literal journalistic example I cited at the beginning from Chinese relates to the contrast between dead rules and alive people. An expression like that would fall into the in-between category. So the actual uh, quotation was, in China people are dead and rules are alive. The notions of dead and alive, as we explained, are supposed to be transparent, except that they are not in this case, when rendered into English, literally. So the translator in this case would have been better served by doing a bit of creative substitution or adding a bit of glossing instead of treating the expression as simple and transparent equivalent. Well, uh, I guess we always come back to the elusive nature of equivalence, don't we? Equivalence can serve as a guiding light, but we should never forget that it does not mean sameness. If we adopt this view, we would be chasing an impossible ideal, a hopeless ideal. One perhaps hopeless ideal is a perfect definition of translation, though we don't want to end on such a pessimistic note, and we might just consider it an opportunity for translators to exercise their creativity as they do uh, whenever they translate. And on this hopeful note, we end our episode tonight. (laughs) Thanks, Mohamed. This has been On Translation. Visit us at ontranslation.org and follow the podcast at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. I don't want to dream about sharing